Well, hello, a warm welcome to everybody across of all of Westwood's campuses. My name is Ben, Pastor Ben. Honored to get to bring the message today. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, and I actually get to be here two weeks in a row. Kind of unusual for me. So uh, with that, I just, I just want to dive into prayer before we open the word, before we dive into this. So would you join me in prayer? Jesus, this is about you. This is for you. This is because of you. I pray that you would turn our ears, point our hearts, set our minds on you in this time. Lord, there's so many things in this world distracting us from what's really important, and I pray that the priority of our attention, that the weight of your word with the, the conviction of your truth and the calling that you have given us, Lord, that it would be, that it would be clear to us today. Holy Spirit, I ask you to move in us. Give us understanding and depth of insight of your word well beyond anything any human could ever, know, ever do on our own. I pray this, Jesus, in your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, today as we get into Ephesians 4, we're kind of building off last week. We talked about contentment and where that comes from and knowing God, really being known by God. And today I get to talk about what it is to know your calling as a follower of Jesus. And, and right up front, I want to address a group of people in here today that when they hear that, when you hear that, you might go, I'm not sure this is for me. Because if you're in here going, I, you know, I'm actually not a Jesus follower. Like, what, what does this have to do with me? Uh, let me start by saying two things to you. One, I want to give you the premise by which all of us Jesus followers build off of. And second, uh, I have an invitation, but it's probably not the invitation you're thinking. So, so here's the premise. Uh, we as Jesus followers follow Jesus. How about that? <laughs> and Jesus is God in flesh sent into this world to save us. And, and to save us from what? So let's go all the way back to the beginning. God made a perfect world. And God is our creator. We follow him, we worship him, we honor him. But I think we all know something is broken in the world, right? I mean, the evidence abounds. There's war, there's sickness, country music. I mean, there's so much evidence <laughs> that the world is completely broken. Yeah, I, I know, there's gonna be country music in heaven. But we know and we agree, the world is broken. And, and we look at the beginning, God made it, God made it. Good, everything was good. He gave mankind, our forefathers, 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 the opportunity to choose to obey or disobey him. And that act of disobedience that was made then continues to be echoed in humanity to this day, to every one of us. And so we stand in a place where the world is broken. We go, who's doing any, who's gonna do something about it? God, will you do something? And God has said he has done something. He has sent Jesus to live a life we couldn't live, die on the cross, pay the penalty of our sin, for our sins, and rise from the dead victorious, coming again to reconcile all things to himself. That is what we lean on and believe, our saving God. So if you have heard that the, the church's message is how great the people are, please listen. We're not that great, <laughs> right? Our message is about a great God, not about a great people. In fact, if there's any message about us, and I hope you see this in us, we're broken. We don't merit God's favor or kindness. 
yet he has graciously given it to us and offered us all hope in him. That's the premise that we all as Jesus followers start on. So secondly, if you're here going, I'm not a Jesus follower, and I'm really glad you're here if you are. And I don't, I don't know who invited you or what brought you in the door, but, but somebody loved you enough to encourage you uh, to uh, spend some time with us. But here's an invitation, and it's probably not the one you're thinking, but it's an invitation to consider what, go- what calling God might have on your life, even if you say you don't claim him as God. I mean, and, and I, I have to say that with some legitimacy because as we get into Ephesians, the author of Ephesians, Paul, was called by God, Jesus specifically, before he was ever a Jesus follower. In fact, the author of Ephesians, Paul, was there when they were stoning Stephen, which means they were literally throwing rocks at him trying to kill him. In fact, they did kill him. Stephen, the Stephen who, when the widows needed care, went and fed the widows. Stephen who stood up and boldly said, I follow Jesus in front of the the religious leaders who got so upset that they they called down a, a mob who threw rocks at him to kill him. And while that was happening, Paul stood there holding the coats of those throwing the rocks and looking on with pleasure. Paul, who was on his way to Damascus to root out followers of Jesus, got called in that moment by Jesus and now he is one of the greatest mouthpieces of the gospel and continues to echo out as we're talking about the, the words that were inspired by God through him today. So I just gotta say, be careful of your nevers because I'll tell you this, I said I would never be a pastor. My wife said she'd never marry one. You might be going, I would never... Maybe God's got a Paul-type calling on you. Don't discount it. Maybe listen in and see what he has to say. So for all of us today, for all of us, I want to start with this question. What is your calling? What is your calling? Like, this is kind of an aspirational question. Like, it's similar to the one that we ask of kids when they're little. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, and kids will say all sorts of things in that situation. One kid will probably be like, well, I want to be an astronaut. Another kid will say, well, I want to be a superhero, shoot lasers out of my hands. And then another kid, there's always that one that's like, it's just not really a logical answer. It's like, I want to be a tree. Like, oh, like we've got some fundamental issues with how that might work, but uh, but okay, right? So so when we think about our calling, some of us have that kind of aspirational idea with our calling. Like, oh, I... Maybe some of us have something God has laid on our heart. Like, I feel like, but I'll never be able to do that. Let me just say this. I have spoken on this passage before, some similar things to what I'm going to say today. In a room where uh, a couple was there, uh, their, name was Dan, their name is Dan and Kia Tao. And Dan had just lost his job in corporate America, just a reshuffling, and he got mixed up in that. And Dan and Kia Tao were there, and they were going, the, the calling question many of us ask, God, what do you want from me? I'm forced into this time of transition. What do you want from me? After considering their calling, Dan and Kia are now starting a church reaching an previously unreached demographic in the Twin Cities. Focused on it. That's what God called them to. Uh, I have another friend who God just laid on her heart uh, to reach victims of sex trafficking. 
And so we're coming alongside of her and helping her get this ministry off the ground, working towards the launch of that three years from right now. And how can we get there? And, and, and you might have an aspirational calling that God has put on you, a world-changing calling, and you just don't know what to do with it. Well, listen, we're here. Let's talk. That might, that's probably there for a reason. But for those of us who go, man, God hasn't called me to change the world. He hasn't called me to start a hospital or go to Moldova or, or any of these things. Start a church. Does he have a calling for me? And I want you to hear loud and clear, yes, he does. See, some of us might be called to change the world, but all of us are called to change somebody's world. Can I say that again? Some of us might be called to have the idea, this thing that God has laid on us that's going to change the world all of us are called to change somebody's world. And I don't know who that somebody is in your world, but there is that somebody. Yesterday, I uh, did a wedding for a family that I've known for a few decades. And uh, one of the daughters in the family came up to me and she said, they, they just all were saying, they were saying things like, oh, things that as a pastor, sometimes you, you just, you miss over time. But they're like, man, you've been through us through so many ups and downs, been with us through so many ups and downs. And one of the daughters came up and she just said, man, I remember when you visited me in prison and you brought chicken McNuggets. Now, it, it was a juvenile prison, so not like bars, but a little bit kind of a different environment. So McNuggets were allowed. But I, I, I honestly, as, as we were talking, I'm like, boy, I hardly remember that moment among so many things in, in my life and over the years. For her, that was a world-changing moment. You took time to see me and bring some McNuggets. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm wondering, who in your world is God calling you to have a McNugget moment with? Right? I mean, it, all trademarks to McDonald's, et cetera, et cetera. But you, you may not be called to change the world, but you are called to change someone's world. We all are. We all are. And so as I transition now into getting into Ephesians 4, I just want you to think about this when it comes to the effectiveness of the mission of the church in America. There's a statistic by Tom Rayner, I think, did this research, said that of growing churches in the United States, so these are churches that are actually growing in numbers, of growing churches, only 7% of growing churches are growing because of conversion growth, meaning new people coming to faith. That means 93% of the churches that are growing are growing because people are leaving all the other churches that are shrinking and transferring into the growing churches. 93% of church growth in the United States is conversion. You know, by the way, this is normal in America. It's not normal across the world. I've got a friend, another guy who's looking to plant a church right here in the Twin Cities. Uh, he was in Ethiopia 40 years ago when, when uh, Protestant Christianity was 1% of the, of the nation were, were Protestant Christians. And they said, you know what? We're going to pray that God increases that number. And they started praying regularly, faithfully, gathering and praying. Do you know that today, 40 years later, after 40 years of prayer, 38% of the population of Ethiopia are Protestant believers in Jesus. Yeah, that's growth. Significant growth through new people hearing and responding to the good news. We're not seeing that currently here. And I wonder if one of the reasons why it's because we're not living out what we see in Ephesians chapter four. So let's take a look at it and dive into it. So Ephesians chapter four, verse one. 
Therefore, Paul says, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life, and here's some key words, worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. First thing I want to point out here is that the you is not an individual you, it's a, it's a plural. So he's saying not just that you individually always think, well, what's my calling? No, he's saying that all of us together have a calling or, or, or I'll say this, we're going to make three major moves in the message today and the first one is this, that we have a calling. So would you just look around the people around you and, and just tell them, we have a calling. Yeah, we have a calling. Yeah, I mean, that's a little whisper. Tell them like you actually mean it. Yeah, we have a calling. Yeah, we have a calling. Thank you. Yeah, we have a calling. And I wonder how well we're actually doing at living that out together. So here's an image uh, to kind of, a metaphor to work off us to help us think about this. So uh, a number of years ago, a movie came out, one of, in the Jurassic Park kind of series of movies, uh, this one called Jurassic World. And so the island where the dinosaurs live, it's an island with a giant volcano in the middle. The the volcano is erupting and in the commercial, you see every man, men, people and dinosaurs all running for their lives. It's like lava is coming down this mountain. So I've got this image uh, of a volcano and an island this is not from the movie but just to kind of plant that image in our head so picture that volcano going off uh, people and dinosaurs running for their lives now just keep that image we're going to not reference the movie anymore but imagine that around this island where people and dinosaurs are perishing imagine that there is a fleet of boats in fact Big boats, small boats, just every kind of boat you can imagine. So many boats that there is room for every man, woman, and dinosaur on that island to get off safely. So imagine that all those boats boats are there, but instead of sending missions and boats to the island and helping people or parking those big boats there and, hey, get as many off as we can, instead, those boats are all looking at each other and competing for who can get the most people on their boat and who can have the best boat on the water. Imagine that. I mean, just picture we got, we got one beautiful boat and it's got a loudspeaker and it's yelling out to the other boats, hey, you should come over here. Have you heard our captain's Monday morning messages? They're so good, right? We've got another one and they're like, they're like, wow, the captain of our ship, he had knee surgery and he's already up front three weeks later. <laughs> I mean, hypothetically, 100% hypothetical situation. Or another one's like, our, our boat was made exclusively for children and we are a paradise for your children. You will drop them off. They will go down a slide of marshmallowy goodness into a pool of candy, healthy candy and we will play and hang out and they're going to learn all these great things and when they come home, they'll be so worn out, they'll nap the rest of the day. We got you. <laughs> Some of you are like, I kind of would like to know about that boat. And instead of like the boats turning their attention to the island, they're just all, look at ours, look at ours. One going to another. Some are rickety and failing while others are thriving and people are coming there. All the while, every man, woman, and dinosaur on the island are perishing. Do you get the metaphor of where I'm going here? 
Now, again, maybe if you're in that place of a, not a Jesus follower, you're going, boy, that, that seems like an interesting metaphor where you guys are all on the nice comfy boats and we're all perishing. Uh, but let me put it this way, um, whether or not we're talking salvation issues, we know the world is broken and there are tremendous needs. And I think people are crying out saying, is anybody, does anybody see us? Does anybody care? Will anybody be there and sacrificially help in whatever situation we're in? Because we really tend to help from our places of, we tend to, to lean more in our comfort than to step into dim, discomfort to help others. Truth? Will we move forward in the calling God has given us together? Now, I find this fascinating. So verse one, we have a calling. Verse two says this. Paul says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. By the way, love is a recurring theme in this passage. So this is just hilarious to me because Paul says, we have a calling. This is incredible. We all have a calling. And the next thing he says is, and y'all aren't always gonna get along with each other. So make allowance for each other's faults. It's like Paul knows people. It's like Paul pastored a church. Like, oh, we don't always get along. Oh, churches don't always get along. People don't always get along. But he's saying, we have a calling. Be humble, be gentle, be patient with each other. Make allowance for each other's faults. Could I just add in here, even when you don't feel like it? I mean, I don't know what it is about human nature, but I wish that the less sleep I got, the more kind and patient I became. Wouldn't that be amazing? I haven't slept in four days and I just want, I just want to hug you. And yeah, No, no, we tend to go the opposite. And sometimes we just don't feel that, but we're called to always be humble and gentle, patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults, even when we don't get along. And then he builds on that. If we keep going in the scripture, he says, uh, so all of that in check, uh, or in mind, then he says, make every effort uh, to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Verse four, for there is one body. There's seven ones here. Talk about unity. One body, one spirit, one glorious hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is over all and in all and living through all. One, 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 one. Would you say today the Christian church is operating as one? No. I think we're missing something. I think we're missing something significant. Now hear me again. Be really clear here. I'm not talking about the organization of the church. I'm talking about the people of the church. Are we living out our calling as one? There is such beauty when we, from different places and different understandings and different backgrounds, work together, standing on that solid premise that I talked about earlier about who God is and how we follow him. There's such beauty in that. But we, we do really, we are lacking that in so many ways. Um, just some experiences I've had in that, in that place. Uh, I have had the privilege of speaking a joint message uh, with an African-American pastor friend of mine. A few times we've gone to churches, we've talked about some, some interesting things and some of that is how we see God from our different places. And, and from my European-American 
uh, background, I, I've most seen the character of God and, and, and learned about him as comforter and provider. And for my friend Kevin, uh, African-American background, he's most seen the character of God as deliverer and healer. And the more that we get to know each other, the more we're actually seeing more and more depth of character of who God is. It's beautiful. It's powerful. It doesn't happen enough. Or when you really start mixing cultures, it's pretty incredible. I don't know if any of you all been to an Ethiopian prayer gathering, but my goodness, Ethiopians know how to pray. Like I, I've got one friend, we were at a conference together and we were sharing a room and I woke up at four in the morning and he was on his knees praying to God. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. I should do that. And then I was right back asleep. <laughs> and then I woke up at five in the morning and guess what he was still doing? Praying. And I was like, oh, now I'm definitely going to get up. And I had that moment where I thought I was and then all of a sudden it was 6 a.m. and my alarm was going off. But guess what my friend was still doing? Praying. A couple hours later, and I asked him later, hey, what was going on? Is something significant? He just goes, no, just God woke me up and I couldn't sleep and I just felt him calling me to pray. When's the last time you prayed like that? Wow. Or man, have you ever been to a Liberian worship service and gone to a Liberian, seen how they do the offering? Oh my goodness. Like, we, I, we don't pass the plate here, but, uh, and they don't pass the plate there. They just have a basket up front. But the offering plate doesn't come to you. You come to the offering plate. It, it, it is a Congo line of dancing. Everybody's up. Like, you are my brother. You are my sister. Like, they're dancing around. They're bringing up the offering. And the point of that is to, to have joy and generosity, but also saying, Lord, I'm not just giving you what, what is, like, from my wallet. I'm, all of me is yours. And I was just thinking that as I was doing my ugly dance compared to everybody else. Like, all of me is yours, right? And you do not want to see me dance, right, family? Yes. All right. Man, it's so beautiful when we, this starts to happen. But it's interesting it's almost easier when we cross cultures than it is with those so similar to us. Sometimes the more similar we are, the less we are likely to get along. Have you noticed that? Oh, just but the way they do worship over there. Man, the way the sound of that, I, they use a they use an organ with the you know, I don't I don't even know where the, I'm starting to get off script, so I'm just going to say wow, those differences. The more subtle they are, sometimes the bigger the divide. So, Let's continue on. If the first major move is we have a calling, the second major move is this, you have a gift. So would you look at the person next to you and just tell them you have a gift. You might even want to throw in there, even you have a, a gift. Yeah, so, so let's look. This is what it says. However, he has given each one of us a special gift. So the however is after all this we unity one. Now individually, you have a special gift through the generosity of Christ. It is a gift out of the kindness of God. All of us have this. So when I, when I go to a typical American suburban church and I say, who here is called to full-time ministry? Guess where uh, everybody points? Yeah, at the guy up here or the one with the cane over here. Yeah, right? If I say, if I do that in a typical immigrant church, especially an African immigrant church, who here is called the full-time ministry? Guess what happens? Everybody's hand goes up. 
It doesn't matter what vocation they are, where circle they're, they're just like, I, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm called to ministry full time. That's my first calling is that and how that plays out. And every one of us has that calling. Every one of us has a gift. This thought is continued in verse 11. It says this, now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. Catch these, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Pastors are sometimes called shepherds, and so this is often called the apest. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, when we hear those terms, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, we almost always think of the people who are standing up here, right? But that's not the context. The context is all of us, meaning you, you are represented somewhere in this mix of gifts, apostle, prophet, etc. But here's the thing. We don't always get along. <laughs> like these gifts are different than each other and they should be complementary, but my goodness, sometimes they're not. Uh, let, me give a, let me give an example of that. So apostles, apostles are uh, what I would call mushroom eaters and please let me explain what I mean by that. How do you know if a mushroom is going to kill you or taste amazing? Somebody's got to eat that thing, right? So the apostles are the ones like, you know what? I'm going to take this one for the team. I'm just going to step out. Adventurers, new territory. I'm going to try it. If I'm still kicking tomorrow, you might want to try it too, right? They're the ones that go to new places. They start new things. They break down old systems and build up new and they, they love new territory. Now, teachers, in contrast, are systemizers. They make processes and a, a good base and a process that's going to work and stand the strength of time. Now, can you see how an apostle and a teacher might not always get along? Like, I, I picture this almost, uh, almost like a, a, th- a, a group of toddlers. Like you've got the teacher kid who's building the tower and then you got the apostle kid who's like, I'm going to knock that down, but I'm going to wait till you're finished. <laughs> so I get the maximum response from you when I do it, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, some of your parents are like, yes, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. So they don't always get along. But which one now is most needed for moving forward in the calling of the church? Yeah, it's a trick question. The answer is all of them. All of them working together. Or if we could personalize that, all of us. Because you have a gift and we all need you to use your gifts. In fact, the word tells us that the body hurts when not everybody is using their gifts because we're lacking something. We're lacking you. Uh, in the word, often there's this image, analogy used of the body. It says that we're the body. Christ Jesus is the head and we all have our different parts. There's the hand and the ear and the feet. And Paul says, hey, you can't tell one or the other that we don't need them. We need them all working together. I sometimes wonder uh, if Paul had the scientific understanding we have today, if he would have said that a little different, talking about the systems in our body and their interconnectedness in, in who we are and how we operate. Um, one time I was speaking on that and I was just thinking like, like there's whole systems. Like what if, uh, what if Paul were to say, uh, you know, we, we need the, we need the uh, cardiac system. It pulls in 
uh, like oxygen and it moves it into our, through, through, our, uh, through our lungs, into our heart, into our bloodstream. It's just this incredible system that's operating. But there's also a whole system that involves your mucus and your cilia. Do you, do you all know what I'm talking about? Cilia are these tiny little hairs that move stuff. You don't really think about them until like you get a cold and then they move everything out of your nose at the same time. And mucus is like the lubricant of your body. I might be grossing you out a little bit. But I was talking about all these different parts of the body and uh, afterwards the, uh, the president of the board of that church came up to me and he goes, I think our board is the mucus. <laughs> he goes, our job's a little ugly sometimes. It's not always pleasant, but without us, man, everything's gonna fall apart. And I was like, yeah, that, that's a great way to think about it. And maybe your gift, maybe you're looking and going, well, I can't stand up there in the lights and I, I'm, I'm not good with kids. I, you know, that's not my gift there, but I'm telling you, you have a gift. And maybe you're thinking it's a mucus gift that isn't needed, but my goodness, without you, we all suffer in our calling. We have a calling. You have a gift. And then the third major move of this, of this teaching is this. Jesus makes it work. And here's where the scripture tells us this, if we go on. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, again love, Growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, even the mucus, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Jesus is the one that makes it work. So uh, just to take you down another image metaphor path. Um, in my household, there are very few shows that we all like to watch. I don't know how it is in your house, but if it has star or galaxy or something science-y, I'm going to love it. Uh, if it has a Gilmore girl in it, my girls are going to love it, right? <laughs> and, um, and in our house, sometimes we find a show we all like. One is Master Chef. Have you anybody seen Master Chef? All right, good. It's, it's a kitchen with way too much drama. And they're all competing for who can be the Master Chef. But in that Master Chef kitchen, you know, they've got the Master Chef pantry with the best ingredients. They got the Master Chef, like they've got uh, ovens, these incredible ovens for baking and, and stovetops for cooking. And then they got the best utensils, pots and pans. And, and I think you could build off of what we said earlier, prophets, and say, hey, we need all of those. And everyone, like, just like in a kitchen, you can't make great food without first having a great pantry and then having this oven and then having the pots and pans. But in the MasterChef kitchen, what is the key to truly having the best dish? It's the MasterChef. It's not the equipment. It's, not, it's the master chef who sees everything, knows how to use it, and this is the word they use all the time, who knows how to elevate the dish. <laughs> to take something and see its potential, use it and in, 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 in create it in just this perfect and beautiful way and elevate it. And Jesus, he's the one that elevates. He's the one that sees. He's the head. He's the director. He's the master chef. So bring all of that together. Let's review and then I want to draw this home for us. So we have a calling. Would you just give and remind everybody around you? We have a calling. Oh man, do I have to start over? <laughs> we have a calling. You have a gift. Let him know. You have a gift. 
And Jesus makes it work. Let's point up. Jesus makes it work. And the last thing to drive it home here, now go live your calling. Let's go and live it. Uh, and I want to draw it home clearly this way. I could just see this happening to so many of us. Yeah, I heard this message on calling. I was really inspired by this message on my calling and we have a calling. Awesome. And so what's your calling? What'd you do about it? Oh, well, I don't know. Or some of us are like this. Like, I am going to do something. Like, God is, I'm feeling stirred. I'm feeling motivated. The Spirit's at work. And, 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 but we're also doing this because we do this with, like, workouts all the time. It's like, it's like I am going to start that new calling. Or like, starting that new workout tomorrow. I'm going to do it Monday. And then somebody goes, actually, today is Monday. And you're like, I'm going to start it next Monday. It's always the one coming and not now. So here, I just want to challenge you. And uh, I heard this once that if you don't put into practice something you heard in a message within 72 hours, that you probably won't. Like I have no science to back that up, but it's a really great thing for a preacher to say. 72 hours. (laughs) And if you think about the next 72 hours, what might God be calling you to do? And if I were to say, think about your spheres of influence and where there's people around you and you have joint gifts and callings and a desire and a heart, Uh, If I were to just say, hey, like maybe let's think your neighborhood as a sphere of influence. If I were to say, hey, go reach your neighborhood, you'd probably be like, that's really intimidating. I don't know how to do that. But if I just change one word, the word we saw repeated over and over again in the scripture and said, hey, can you just go love your neighbors or a person? Maybe it's a McNugget moment that God's called you and some people to be about for somebody to truly see someone and show them the love that God has showed you. Could you do that? And so I, I just, I just want to challenge you to have a McNugget moment, McNugget moment sometime in the next 72 hours to be intentional. Because listen, we do have a calling and you have a gift and we need you to use your gift. And Jesus, he makes it work, so let's live it. So with that, would you stand and we'll close in prayer. Jesus, glory and honor and praise do your name and yours alone. I pray, Lord, that you would clarify in us what you have called us to, that you would stir us up to that, that, Lord Jesus, by your power and by your spirit, that you would be at work in us. And for those of us in here today who have something concrete, Lord, uh, about that, would you just, would you put energy and fuel behind that for us? And those of us here today who are going, I have no idea what my calling would be and who I do that with, would you draw us to a place of clarity? Show us, Lord, who it is you've called us to love in your name. And Lord, by your grace, would we see the kind of statistics we talked about earlier, Lord, change and let it begin with us, Lord. In your name, amen.